You ready? Yeah, I know you know this next song. We've been singing it through the feast. It's the victory chant. Here we go. Welcome to Grafted in Messiah. I'm your host, Gil Burgos, and today is August 9th, 2022. Victory Chant by Chuck King from the album Feast of Tabernacles. This was recorded live in Jerusalem. It's an old school uh, album, but it's still 
a wonderful, wonderful song. All right, welcome to Graft of the Messiah again. I'm your host, Gil Burgos, and tonight we have a great show. I'm going to be talking about this topic here. Are the Jews cursed because they killed Christ and asked for, quote, his blood to be upon us, according to Matthew 27, 25? And that is what we are going to be discussing tonight. Are the Jews cursed because they killed Christ and asked for his blood to be upon them? And again, that was taken from the Gospels. And if you read it, you'll remember that phrase that they said, let his blood be upon us. So is that happening today? Are they being responsible for their actions? Are the Jews of today suffering the consequences, the repercussions of what transpired over 2,000 years ago? Well, let's look at that. In fact, some people believe that the Jews are cursed because they killed the Son of God, meaning Yeshua. And this belief is sometimes used to justify anti-Semitism and feelings of prejudice against the Jewish people. This is not a biblical idea. The Jews' rejection of their Messiah did have its consequences, but the Bible does not speak of a continuing curse upon God's chosen people. So let's make that perfectly clear. For example, in Matthew 27, 22, during Jesus' so-called trial, Pilate asks the crowd, quote, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? The crowd answers, crucify him. Pilate says, or actually Pilate publicly proclaims Jesus' innocence, but they shouted all the louder, again, crucify him, which you see in verse 23 of the text. Pilate then famously washes his hands, declaring himself to be innocent, as it says in verse 24, and telling the crowd that Jesus' death is your responsibility. It is a responsibility that the mob accepts, shouting the chilling words, quote, his blood is on us and our children, end quote. And that's from verse 25. So, it is important to remember who was speaking these words in Matthew, I'm sorry, in the book of Matthew that we just read. Also, Matthew 27, 27, 20 says, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd, yes, the mob at Jesus' trial was comprised of Jews gathered in Jerusalem for Passover or Pesach, but they were incited by religious leaders who had rejected Jesus' years earlier, which you see in Matthew 12, 14. As it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The mob's ringleaders bear the most responsibility, as does Pilate, who presided over such a traversity of justice. Also, the mob's self-indictment was spoken by some Jews, not all of them. Jesus was a Jew, as were his disciples, all of them. And they certainly did not call a curse upon themselves. The Jewish nation did indeed suffer for their rejection of 
the Messiah. On the way to the cross, Jesus hints a actually hints at a coming judgment. For example, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke 23, 31, it says, For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Within one generation of the crucifixion of Christ, Jerusalem was totally destroyed by the Romans. The Jews were scattered and almost 1900 years until 1948, they had no homeland. There were spiritual ramifications as well as the gospel was brought to the more receptive Gentiles. And it, uh, so it says in uh, Acts 18.6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I am going to the Gentiles. This is Paul speaking. The Apostle Paul likens the Gentiles' inclusions and salvation to wild branches being grafted into a cultivated olive tree. The Jews, the natural branches, are not completely forsaken. If, here we go, quote, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Notice the will, the word again. People miss that. It's so important that you understand that he's saying that they will be grafted in once again. So right now, they are not in. They are out. Read Romans eleven twenty three carefully. Because of their rejection, I'm just speaking on my own initiative, from my own thoughts, because of their rejection, they were put out, so to speak. So they are not part, unfortunately, of the church, we know that. They are not part of the new covenant because of their rejection of the Messiah. They are not part of the kingdom, unfortunately. They have been put aside on their own initiative because from the very beginning, how they said, let, their, let, let this be upon us and our children. Let us, all the curses be upon us, we don't care. We'll deal with this later. Little did they know that it would happen. And how many years later, it is happening, as you see today. They were scattered, as you see, how after a certain period of time, the Roman leaders expelled all the Jews out of the Roman area, so to speak. And they were kicked out of their homeland. And they were scattered, as God said they would be. And they went to different parts of the world. This is the reason why you have different parts, I'm sorry, different types of Jews. You have the Ashkenazi, as they say, who went to Europe and some parts of Spain, which were mostly not too many Ashkenazis, but a few. But for the most part, they went to parts of Poland, they were in Germany, as you remember what happened in Auschwitz. They were in different areas of, again, Poland. And then they were in different areas, Hungary. And there are other sects and areas that they were scattered in the parts of Europe that I'd even mention here. But 
they were put in different places, and some of them, after being there for some time, even migrated to other parts of the world. As I mentioned before, you have Spain, and then some went to Argentina. If you go to Argentina, it is relatively a big, one of the biggest Jewish-Spanish communities in the world. If you have not been there, Judaism is well-practiced in Argentina, and there are many, many. When my wife and I were watching a... Uh, some time ago, I think about a week or two ago, we were watching something on Amazon Prime, it was. And we were watching this movie. It was pretty good. I mean, it was all right. It was a series about this man who was in, like, what was he? He was in Argentina. And as they were starting to speak, we saw all these Jewish symbols. And then as they started to speak in Spanish, my wife was like, oh, look at that. They're speaking Spanish. I said, honey, they are from Argentina. And did you know that then, didn't you know that the Jews were scattered when they were scattered, they wound up there too? But she shouldn't, which she didn't know. So there's a, a scattering, there was a, a disbursement, so to speak, of the Jews after they left Jerusalem and all the cities that they were kicked out of once uh, the Roman Empire, before they were toppled and crushed. The, the emperors removed them and kicked them out. After the temple was destroyed, they were excommunicated, if you will. And that's what happened. They were pushed aside and scattered, and they wound up all over the place, and they wound up where they wound up, unfortunately. And you know what happened in the Holocaust because of their being kicked out of the homeland. Had they been left, been left in the homeland, that would not have not happened. But everything has a reason and everything has a purpose, and only God knows why things happen. But again, this is so interesting when you read this, how a people that were God's chosen people have been, I can't I'll say ostracized, but just like put aside, put on hold, put on the back burner, and the Gentiles were grafting up, which will, the Bible calls them wild branches. And they have been, as it says, cultivated and brought in into, like, an, like they say, an olive tree. And then the Jews, the natural branches, unfortunately, are not completely sacred, yeah, because they have a chance to come back. They have a chance to be born again. They have a chance to receive the spirit of the living God. You see, back in the days of Moses, only Moses had the Spirit of God and the elders, Aaron and Miriam, and the elders of the, that were there at that time had the Spirit of God. It was scarce at that time. Not everybody had the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that we have today. It was only put on selected individuals, kings and priests and prophets, Moses being one of them. So... When you speak about the Spirit of God residing in an individual, most modern Jews will not understand that. They feel that, well, that's not for me. That was for the king, the priest, the prophet, and whatever. Little did they know that the Spirit is for everyone who comes to faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. He would pour out His Spirit, as it said, on all flesh. All flesh that would accept Him. He cannot force it on anyone, but every flesh, all flesh that accepts him as their Messiah, he will pour out his spirit 
upon him, or upon them rather. So it's interesting when you read Romans 11.23, a powerful verse, again I'll read it, and they, even, and even they, they do not, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has, not, has the power to graft them in again. So there's a spirit of unbelief residing in these Jews who don't want to accept the Mashiach, Yeshua. And then soon enough, when they do, things will be totally, totally different. Amen? All right, I'm going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to continue with our discussion soon. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this song. Where the beat never stops. Never stops. Oh, 
how God really wanted to live with us on this planet. And as its name suggests, the millennial kingdom of Christ will last a thousand years. The millennial kingdom is the seventh dispensation, and you'll see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And there are a lot, there's a lot of information you can go online and study this. I'm not going to get into that as far as what's the dispensation. I just gave you uh, a tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And that maybe I'll discuss in another podcast, but not tonight. Anyway, well, let me, uh, maybe I'll go back. Let's see. Let me finish this up and I'll probably go back to that. All right. People reap what they sow. Galatians 6, 7. And disobedience brings sorrow. When the people of Israel fell into gross, unrepentant idolatry, they lost their land for the 70 years of the Babylonian exile, as you see in Jeremiah 29.10. And that says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. When they rejected the Messiah... They lost their land for even longer. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. As you see in John 1.11, but God's promise still stands. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Quote, say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. They will be called the holy people the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called, sought after, the city no longer deserted, as it says in Isaiah, chapter 62, I'm sorry, yes, 62 verses 11 and 12. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes, behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and it goes on to further discuss that. But again, as I was saying earlier, in regards to, to the millennial kingdom, it's expansive. It's interesting. For example, you're talking about that, you have stewards, which is what? The resurrection, or actually the resurrected Old Testament saints, the glorified church, and the survivors of the tribulations, and their descendants. What is this tribulation, you ask? Well... The tribulation is a future seven-year period of time when God will finish his discipline of Israel and finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world. The church, made up of all who has trusted in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus to save them from being punished for sin, will not be present during the tribulation. The church will be removed from the earth in an event known as the rapture. And we see the rapture mentioned, although it doesn't say rapture, there are... Uh, reference to that, uh, that incident or that day that it will happen. For example, you'll see something like that mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 51 through 53. The church is saved from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Throughout Scripture, the tribulation is referred to by other names such as the day of the Lord. There's countless scriptures for that. Trouble or tribulation, the great tribulation, which refers to the more intense second half of the seven-year period, which was mentioned in Matthew 24, 21, 
time or day of trouble, time of Jacob's trouble, and so forth and so on. That's another topic within itself. Then you have the period from the second coming of Jesus Christ until the final rebellion, a period of 1,000 years. You have responsibilities, I'm sorry, responsibility to be obedient, remain undefiled, and worship the Lord. Then there's failure. After Satan is loose from the abyss, sinful man rebels one more time, as it says in Revelation 20, 7 through 9. And then there is judgment, fire from God. The great white throne judgment, which you see in Revelation 20, 9 through 15. And then there is grace. Jesus Christ restores creation and rules righteously in Israel with all saints assisting. So, in a nutshell, again, the millennial kingdom will be a time characterized by peace, justice, unity, abundance, healing, righteousness, joy, and the physical presence of Christ. Satan will be bound in the abyss during this period. Messiah Jesus will be the benevolent dictator ruling over the whole earth. The resurrected saints of all times will be participating in the management of the government. The millennial kingdom is measurable and comes after the kingdom of God embodied in Jesus Christ came to man during the dispensation of grace. On Jesus' first visit to the earth, he brought grace. At his second coming, he will execute justice and usher in the millennium. Jesus mentioned his glorious return at his trial before the Sanhedrin, and he was referring to the millennial kingdom when he taught his disciples to pray. Remember, he said in Matthew 6.10, quote, Thy kingdom come. So the rebellion at the end of the millennial kingdom seems almost incredible. Mankind will have been living in a perfect environment with every need cared for, overseen by a truly just government. You see something mentioned here in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Yet, they still try to do better. Man can't, I'm sorry, man simply cannot maintain the perfection that God requires. Mankind follows Satan any chance he gets. You know, that's true. At the end of the millennium, the final rebellion is crushed and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20.10. Then comes the white throne judgment where all the unrighteous of all the, of all the dispensations will be judged according to their works and also cast into the lake of fire, which you see in Revelation 20.11-5. After the final judgment, God and his people live forever in the what? The new Jerusalem on a new earth with a new heaven. You see this in Revelation 21. So to close, God's plan of redemption will have been completely realized at the, I'm sorry, and the redeemed will know God and enjoy him forever. I am looking so forward to this, my friends. So as you heard and as I read, is it true? Yes, it is true. I believe it is true only because of what transpired, what you see transpiring today across America, overseas, Israel. That's why you see so much fighting over there still in the Middle East. It will not cease. It will continue until the time comes when Yeshua comes back once again. All right, we're going to play one more song and then we're going to come back and with my final thoughts and... Stay tuned, we got just this final part. 
a crazy mix and mash of the best freestyle music.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Adonatari, Lord, you are my light. All right, you've been listening to Grafted the Messiah. I'm your host, Gil Burgos, and we were discussing something here, the very, very, I would say, a sensitive topic. If you, if you remember the, how the Jews at the time of Jesus, how they crawled out, and they put a curse upon themselves, and they say, crucify, then they say, crucify him, and they said, let the curse be upon us and our children. And then we look at modern Judaism and modern Jews, we see that transpiring today. A lot of bad things, unfortunately. You see the struggles, you see the fighting, and all the things. But God in this time will do what he needs to do. And uh, when I look at the tribulation, again, I was reflecting that on this on, during the break. I think about what's going to happen with the Jews that don't accept Yeshua as their Messiah before the rapture. And unfortunately, they're going to go through the tribulation. And, and you read the Bible closely, the New Testament talks about the Antichrist coming in the scene and taking his place in the temple. And then how the Jews are going to follow him to a point. And then when they finally realize that he's up to no good, they're going to reject him. And that's when more uh, problems are going to occur. That's when, like they say, it's going to hit the fan. And they're going to suffer some serious, serious persecution. And he thought the Holocaust was bad. That was just, just the beginning of the things they are going to experience. And I don't wish this upon anybody. But unless people get saved and born again, they will suffer the repercussions of their actions. Anyway, when I was also on the break, I was looking at some commentaries here on the fact of the text in Romans 11.23. And there's a lot of stuff here when you go to BibleHub.com. So I, I'm not going to read all this, but I'm just swirling through it. And there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of people, a lot of commentators reflecting on that verse. Here's one of them, Bengals Noman. He says, therefore, their conversion will not be the effect of irresistible grace. It might be a principal objection. How will the Jews be converted? Who for so many ages act so as to withdraw themselves from the faith? Separate, draw aside the Old Testament revelations from the true Messiah and snatch them out of the hands of believers? Paul answers, God has power, or powerful. He will show the glory of his power against which no one in the Gentile world can strive. There will be a great work, not only in a smaller, uh, smaller number as now, but in a greater number as formerly when they were the people of God. And uh, here's a verse from Romans 14.4, which says from the NIV, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. All we could do is pray for now, because sometimes we want to talk to people who are closed-minded, and they reject the words that you give them. And sometimes people don't give you the, even the opportunity, like they say. They don't give you the time of day. I remember some time ago when I used to speak to Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and all kinds of people in cults. And sometimes I walked away in victory and sometimes I walked away in discouragement because I wanted them at that moment to understand what I was talking about. Many did, many did not. And many, even though they did, 
slightly understood what I was saying and revealing the gospel to them, rejected me altogether. And they said, no, you're incorrect. You're wrong. This is the truth here. And they would either point to the Book of Mormon or they would pull, uh, pull out their New World Translation, which is a Jehovah Witness Bible, and they would say, this is God's word. Little do they know that they have been deceived by a man who wrote those verses of scripture, not even scripture, but wrote their false texts that they have in their hands, and they solely uh, trust their salvation in a man-made religion. And of course, we know that Judaism, although it is not the Judaism of the day when Jesus was around, you hear all kinds of different types of Judaism, for what I've understood it, and you have different types and sects of Judaism, and you have a even modern-day Sanhedrin, if you ask me. You have modern-day Pharisees, if you ask me, and that's what's walking around today. You got people saying, follow the, the Gomorrah, and these are Christians that say they read uh, the Mishnah, they read all these things, they follow Orthodox Judaism, and they put it upon their people or their followers, or I remember, I don't want to say his name, and when he was saying that people that come to his school, this is a Christian now, and he's a Jew, Sephardic like me, he says, I, I, mean, I, need, I make all my students learn the 613 commandments before anything else, and I'm saying to myself, why? Why would you make people and put them under the law? That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard from a man of God could do that to people. Why do they need to know the 613 commandments which were given to Israel in the time of Moses? Are you out of your mind? Why would you do that? Are you want, do you want people to start behaving in a certain way and be under condemnation and put them into strict religious rules? What is wrong with some of these people out there? I, I don't know. If I was to tell you who this person was, you would know and you'd be shocked. And I was totally blown away. I, I, I had more respect for this man until I heard what I heard yesterday. And I'm like saying, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He did not. I, let me have to rewind it. I had to rewind it two or three times. I said, I, wait a minute. I, I got to hear this again. Did he say, what did he say? He said that along with some other stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, please. And that's the danger of what can happen to anyone who doesn't have a balance between Christianity and Judaism. You have to be, if you're Messianic, in the middle. But you can't, you can't have a balance of both because if you swerve too much this way, you have a problem. And there's no problem with Christianity when it comes to serving the Lord, but there are some things that I don't agree with, and there are a lot of things in modern-day Judaism I agree with less. So there has to be a balance if you're a Messianic Jew. You have to know to give a little and take a little, so to speak, so you don't fall into condemnation, but you don't fall into anything else outside of the Word of God. You have to have a balance and know the grace of God, the love of God, the new covenant of Yeshua the Messiah, and not fall into this Torah-only thing, because it's not all about that. Nothing wrong with the Torah. We love the law. We love the Torah. We obey it, we follow it. But does it make you holier than thou? Absolutely not. 
It's only by the blood of Yeshua that saves us all. Amen. Those are my final thoughts to you people. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we'll see you next week. Same time, same channel. For more information, visit us at www.graftedinmessiah.org. All righty, we're out of time. God bless you. And you've been listening to Chuck King, Feast of Tabernacles. And this is You Are Messiah. All right, guys, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Shall be king of the ages, and you shall reign.